Amen. Thank you, ladies. John chapter 4, if you grab your Bibles, join me in John chapter 4. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, there should be one there in front of you in the back of the pew. In John chapter 4. I did not say it last week, but this is the second part of the message that we uh, shared la- last week, and, uh, but altogether different because we're going to look at the second part of the story. And so John chapter 4. If you remember well, last week we joined Jesus Christ at the well, right out there at a sidecar and outside that city of Samaria. And uh, as he interacted with that woman, and uh, we kind of set the, t- uh, the table for that and the reality of the great uh, racial tension there between the Samaritans and the Jews, and uh, all that flooded her mind in that moment and such, and so that racial tension, the resentment that certainly was alive even in her response, uh, as we saw there. Uh, we looked last week, and as we did, um, we, we saw a couple different things as we looked uh, at specific verses. Obviously, Jesus Christ says this one begins the conversation by saying, give me to drink, verse number 7, John chapter 4. Uh, and then he follows it up, and verse number 9, as she does, uh, is simply asking, how is it uh, that thou being a Jew? And we see that racial tension there, and how, you're talking to me, you're going to ask something of me, ask us drink of me, which I am a one of Samaria, but the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and, and uh, just the questioning aspect about that. And uh, then Christ starts out with that key phrase where we focused a lot of our time last week. If thou knewest, I love that statement. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is and saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water, living water. We focused in on if thou knewest, and we talked about that for quite a bit. We, we identified the simple reality that, as he said that, he knew that in, in spite uh, of uh, her background, in spite of uh, her past, um, in spite of so many mistakes and regrets, there was still within her a hunger and a thirst. There's still a desire for the goodness of God, though she didn't understand fully what she was looking for. She didn't grasp it completely. Um, the reality was it was there, and he noticed it, and Christ noticed it in many people that he talked to time and time again. And we derive from that a simple principle and truth. Uh, we can safely assume that this thirst belongs to every person. David expressed it, right? And even as a saint, a believer, and he said, my soul thirsteth for thee. And uh, that grand expression of desire and thirst and hunger for God alone, and as the only one that will satisfy, as the living water, as uh, was Christ put it even here. We made this statement, and this I, I think, and uh, I know it clicked with some and repeating it even this week. The reality is this. The only difference between the saint and the sinner in this respect is that the saint knows what he's thirsting for. Saint knows. You and I have tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We have found the, the spring of living water and shame on us when we don't go frequently back. Shame on us that we don't share that living water with someone else. Shame on us when we don't drink freely. And uh, we kind of culminated in that reality and that aspect to that. And uh, there we admit there is an insatiable longing for God. And uh, uh, we like to uh, share with what Augustine said and I think is a great truth. And God has made us for himself and we never will find rest. We'll never find satisfaction. We'll never find fulfillment until we rest in him. Then we made this careful application. This is where we stopped. And the reality is all around us, there's women like, and there's people, excuse me, like that woman at the well. There's women and men that you and I rub shoulders with on a daily basis, that we cross paths with. And the reality is that each one of their, their, there are times in their lives, though they may show no spiritual interest, they may not ask about God, they may not ask about what you believe, the reality are they have times when they're restless and they're heartsick and they're homesick and they're thirsting for something. 
They're desiring something. And they may not yet know it, that what they are desiring and hungry for, for is God, but that hunger is still real. That thirst is real. And then we finish it up that there are times when they are literally parched uh, with thirst for those fountains that make glad those who have uh, drunk of the goodness of God. So that's where we left off. And again, in, in verse number 10, if you'll look with me there, let's read it, just kind of pick up context, then we're going to move on. Look, verse 10, Jesus answered and said, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now, this reply of the stranger, we kind of referred to him last week as the stranger. Certainly, we know Jesus Christ, but to her, it's just a stranger sitting here next to this this well. It awakens the interest in the woman. You can see it kind of makes something click, and she's like, what? what is he talking about? She's bewildered. She's mystified, and she senses, I, I can imagine, she senses that he is sincere. He's not a madman, but he's sincere in what he says. But what does he mean by it? She doesn't know what you and I studied last week. She, she doesn't, hasn't come to the, the point of grasping the truth that everyone's thirsty and everyone's hungering and that he alone can satisfy. She, she doesn't know the heart of the Savior yet that wants every person to come and drink freely of the springs of living water. So she can't hold back any longer. She's puzzled. Uh, she's wondering, what is it that he's saying? So notice her response. Look at verse number 11, if you will. Verse 11 and 12 specifically. Notice what she says. The woman saith unto her, him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? You'll, yeah, she's thinking physically. She's looking around. She, she gazes upon the well like at him. You, you have no water pot. You, you have no means of drawing. And this... Boy, that well is pretty deep. And can you just imagine a little smirk coming across Christ's face? Look, that's deep. I don't know how you're going to reach in there. And he's like, oh my, <laughs> you're not quite getting it. The spiritual reality has this. I'm talking about spiritual things. You're worried about physical things. And boy, isn't it how that is in this world? So many people worry about the physical things. And we get caught up with day-to-day physical needs and, and physical pressures and things. My friend, can I just tell you, you know how, li- how short life is? Like that. It is even but a vapor. And boy, we can get so consumed to the little things that pertain to this little vapor, and we miss the spiritual things that pertain to all of eternity. And so she's a great picture of that. She gazes into the well. Oh, that's pretty deep. How are you going to draw? How, how will you draw water out of that? And then she makes a comparison. Verse number 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us this well? Which gave us this well? And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? I mean, here she is. Jacob was a great prince of a man. Uh, with God. He had power with God and with man. He's a hero to the Jews. And let us not forget, she is a Samaritan. She is half Jew. And even to them, uh, he was revered. He was honored. He was held in high esteem. Um, she can't hide her skeptical attitude. You, a stranger? I mean, I've never seen, I've never heard of you. Who are you? And, and you think you have more power than, than Jacob, our patriarch? You, you have a secret that Jacob did not know? Can you do what he could not do? And accordingly, accordingly, the stranger doesn't hesitate to say, and in not so many words, he says, I sure can. I sure can. It is a claim 
that he makes to the woman that no other teacher, however great, however egotistical, has ever made such a claim. He's basically saying, yes, I'm greater than your father Jacob. I'm greater because I can give a gift that is infinitely better than the gift that he gave in the form of this well. Look with me in verse number 13. This is his response. Jesus saith unto her, Whosoever, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water, verse 14, and I, I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. <laughs> Think about that statement for a moment. She's like, well, how are you going to get water out of there? And it's going to be, you're going to give me water from here? And, and then he responds, hey, whosoever drinks of this water, you drink of this well, you're going to thirst. Whoever drinks of mine, you will never thirst. It will be a spring that's continually bubbling within you and giving you what you need. And she's looking at him. She's shaking her head in great amazement and bewilderment. And you can imagine in her head she's thinking, do I run now or wait? Do I get away from this guy right now or do I wait? Is this a madman? Or, or, he's either a madman or he's someone that I need to listen to. He's someone that I need to hear out and follow. And so my friend, as she stood there by the well, and I can just imagine this, and she's dropped her water pot and she's just staring at him. And in that moment, she has to take these claims of this man. She has to kind of run them through her mind and think through them and, and try to evaluate what is it that he's actually saying? What is it that uh, he, he is, uh, these claims that he is making, what is the validity to it? So you and I, we, we want to think about those and meditate about, on these claims for just a moment. The first would be this, that we could infer from his statement. Number one, this old well will not satisfy permanently. He said, you're going to thirst again, was his statement, verse 13 and 14. You will thirst again. And what is true of that well, he is saying spiritually, is true of all wells that have ever been dug by human hands. What, what is the problem with hands, or excuse me, wells dug by human hands? Uh, it's just simply this, they will never fully satisfy when we talk about being satisfied, you don't have to go back. You're, you're full. You're, you're satisfied. There's no, there's no return. I don't have to go back to that. He says, those will never do it. You'll thirst again. It, it may last a moment. It may last a few years. But when you drink of the wells that a, that a human has made, that, that we can build, that we can concoct in our lives, when you drink of those wells, you will go back. You will thirst again. They never fully quench your thirst, your longing. You see, to drink from the, the well of our own creation, to, to drink of the well spiritually that man can concoct and build, is like drinking seawater. The more we drink, the more parched we become. The more thirsty we are as we drink. And so men, down through the ages and even today, there are some who are building their own well. Drawing from the, own, the well of their own making. Just like Jacob did. Though they're real wells in the sense that they believe they would permanently satisfy their longing and their thirst that is unknowingly for God. They, they didn't realize, and some don't, some do, that the only thing that will quench their thirst is the living waters 
of the living God. And my friend, they, these wells, they're full of water that, can, that are utterly powerless to quench the thirst and longing of their soul. Here on this side, you and I see, we, we see a man that has built a, a well of wealth. Treasure is bubbling up around him and about him. And as it does, the, the, like waters of, of a fountain, he's rich beyond his hopes. But is he satisfied? Not at all. His soul is hungry and thirsty for the living God. He might have all that money can buy, but he does not have the one thing he cannot buy, and that's the living waters of God. And so, my friend, he is thirsty. He is longing. Oh, there's one, too, that has built and, and draws from the well of fame, enjoys the accolades, the praise of mankind, and uh, enjoys being revered and praised by many. He's known in the community. His achievements are, are well known abroad, and people know that, but in all honesty, he cannot count up 12 happy days in the entirety of his life. Fame has not brought happiness, fulfillment, a quenching for his thirst. Oh, he's drunk great gulps that have quenched, that might have quenched the thirst of millions, yet he is dying of thirst because there's no more to drink. Fame has dried up. Popularity has run out. And it does not quench the soul. He still longs for the living water that is only found in God. Others, as we were to gaze around, there, there are others who have built a different kind of well. It is the, the well of entertainment. They drink in all that the world has to offer. They, they are awash in the lasting or, or the best, uh, the latest, the coolest offerings of this world. They swim in possessions and experiences. They have all that the world offers. But oh, it is so fleeting. As soon as they drink, the thirst returns. Nothing satisfies I can have that. I, I need that. I need to experience that. I, I need to do that. And once they do, they think, okay, if I could just do that, everything would be, I, I, I'd be, my thirst would be quenched. I, I wouldn't need anything else. But then the next infomercial comes on. The next desire of a possession. The next, someone else did something and I need that. The well of entertainment. Well of pleasures, we might say. Thirst comes back. The longing comes back stronger than ever. And here is another. He has, dwell, he has dug a, a pretty large well. It encompasses much. It is the well of wealth and fame and power and pleasure. He seems to float in the, the very sea in which all the streams of human power and glory and wisdom come together. They converge. They mingle. He tastes them all. He drinks freely of them all. And yet, even as he does, he takes the cup with which he drinks and tosses it aside, and he simply utters, vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. You see, my friend, the poster child of this truth, of digging a well and drinking of it, building it of ourselves and our own making and drinking of it freely is the wisest man, the wisest human being that ever lived, Solomon. You know what Solomon did? We know his life well. You see, Solomon, he tasted all the good things this world had to offer. He went to every well. Remember, he, 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 he was wise. 
He had education. He, he tried that. He, he had heaps of wealth. Heaped himself and tried that. He tried entertainment. He, he, he tried the pleasures of this earth. He had his, his wives. He had concubines. He had it all. He, he had anything the world could afford. He could purchase. He could buy it. He tried all that. He had people coming from far places to, 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 to praise him, to give him accolades, and to, to see this marvel of a man that was so wise. So he had the fame. He had it all. And he drank of those wells. And yet he comes into the point in his life, and you see it even stated here, he was still thirsty. He was longing for something that those wells could never quench. May I ask you this morning, what well have you been drinking from? You sit here this morning. Are there wells of your own making? Are there wells that you found in this world that you've been drinking of? And, and the reality is, if your soul could be exposed, if we were honest with before God, the reality is you are thirsty. You are hungering. The wells that you've been drinking of have not satisfied you. My friend, is that you this morning? See, for all that Solomon had tried, all the wells that he had tasted, he came back. To one last thought that he left with you and I in the, the books he wrote. He simply said this. Look to God alone. Drink of his well. You see, he said this is the one necessity. He called it a duty. This is the one need of every human in their life. You need to drink at God's well. You need to come back to him. The one necessity of every person is to find the well of living water that alone can satisfy. You see, Jesus Christ was saying to this woman, this well can never permanently satisfy you. No well of this world can. No, no well of human making. But if only you are willing, I can give you a, will, a well Excuse me, that will totally satisfy you. I can impart to you that which will meet every single need and every single longing of your soul. What a claim that is. What a marvelous and amazing thought. This tired young man sitting on the edge of a well, uh, the seeming stranger, makes a claim to this woman that seems impossible. Yet, my friends, can I tell you, through the centuries, we have found that God will make it good. He will fulfill the claim. You see, he says, unlike human wells, I can... I can give you a well that will satisfy you now. I can touch the hot fever of restlessness in your life right now. I can touch and relieve the intensest hunger of your starved soul even now. And not only can I do it in the present, but I can satisfy you for all eternity. I can give you a fountain that will what? Never run dry. You see, in this verse, he, he not only said, you, you go to this well, you go to the wells of the world, you will thirst again. Mark it down. You will walk away thirsty. You will seem like you've never quenched your thirst at all. But then he says one other thing. He says, listen, you drink of my well, and you will never thirst again. It is the second bold uh, proclamation of this verse, of these verses, verses 13 and 14. You shall never thirst. If you allow me, I will give you that which will enrich and satisfy your life today and tomorrow and through all the eternal tomorrows. You see, that all that the world offers, there always comes a time when we have to say it has run dry. 
Can I just give you a good illustration from the New Testament? The prodigal son started off drinking well, <laughs> no pun intended, of the well of wealth. He was partying. He was enjoying pleasure and entertainment. You name it. In fact, he could say he was popular. He enjoyed fame. All those wells he was drinking of, he was, he was enjoying that in the world. And yet just a few verses later, when those wells ran dry, where do we find that prodigal son? Sitting in the midst of a pig farm. Can I just tell you right now where I grew up in Franklin, Indiana, to the north of that little town in Indiana in the middle of the cornfields, there was a pig farm. And there is a stretch of US 31 that bordered that pig farm. And I'll tell you right now, every time I drove down that road in the back seat of our car, I held my breath. You know why, don't you? I'll tell you, I, I'm no farmer. You know, that'd be a stretch of imagination. But I'll tell you, I'll take cows over pigs any day. Cows can, cows can smell pretty nasty too, but there's something about a pig farm. Could you imagine being that prodigal son? Wallowing in the mud of a pig farm. And my friend, in that moment, he realized, all my wells have run dry. I don't got anything left. And here I am. And the servants in my father's house, they drink freely. Oh, they have living water. They drink freely. That, that is what he offers. You see, the things these world, the world offer, the wells offer, the zest, there comes a time when the zest is gone, when the flow ceases. There comes a time when the joy flees. We, we have left to us only the dust and the ashes of burnt out hopes. But oh, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, as he says, I can impart, but... Uh, the reality is I'm well behind in my clicking, sorry, but Jesus Christ satisfies now and forevermore. Then he does in spite of all circumstances and the presence of all difficulties and therein is a great truth. Wells of human making, they dry up. Physical wells can dry up too. It's amazing as we read about the West and waters drying up left and right, things being revealed, dinosaur tracks and other things, and uh, lakes and dead bodies and everything else re being revealed when the water recedes and such. You know what? The wells physically of this earth and also spiritually that people make and build, they dry up. But my friend, as Christ says, he can satisfy now and forevermore. And he does so in spite of all circumstances and in the presence of all difficulties. Here's the great truth. Would you note it this morning? This is not an external fountain. He is not speaking about something that you and I go to on a daily basis that we have to travel to. In fact, we'll see that here in a moment where she thinks, whoa, whoa, you're gonna, I don't have to come out to this well. This is wonderful. <laughs> he is not speaking of an external fountain, an external well. It is a fountain within. It is that which makes us independent of our foes and, and even of our friends when need be. There's a preacher of old who had the privilege of traveling and to an old ruined castle in England. And uh, he was able to walk around the grounds, walk within the keep there of the, the castle. And as he did so, he, he made his way into the inner areas of the castle and in those inner precincts of the castle. Uh, to his amazement, he found there a gurgling, bubbling spring. He thought to himself, my goodness, what a treasure that was. 
What a blessing it was to the man and the people who lived in this castle. The enemies could besiege him. The enemies could shut him in, but they could never cut him off from the water supplies. No foe, however great, would be able to overcome that castle by starvation of water. Why? Because they had a fountain within that was freely giving water. There is a fountain independent of all outside sources. I just tell you right now, friend, you, if you have trusted in God, you have tasted the living waters of God, you have a fountain within. And though your enemy besieges you, though the world around you overwhelms you and throws everything it can at you, you have a fountain within that you can drink freely of. That's what Christ said. Verses 13 and 14. Notice it. You shall thirst again if you drink of these wells. You shall never thirst if you drink of my well. And it is, it shall be a spring in him. Within. It doesn't matter what the devil does to you on the outside. It doesn't matter the circumstances of life. It doesn't matter all that happens and goes wrong. You have a fountain within. And your relationship with the God of heaven, with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, Knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Are you eagerly drinking daily and in time of need? You have a spring within. Now, when Christ says this to the woman, when he shares the the reality of the wonderful gift that he has the power of imparting to her, of giving to her, uh, it's not strange that she becomes excited. And I, I love it. You see a turn in her thing. And if she hasn't dropped her water pot yet, she's dropped it now. And she eagerly responds. Look at verse number 15, if you will. Notice what she says. Verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, (laughs) okay, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. You love her statement. The thought of having her physical thirst quenched forever was beyond her dreams. Man, you have it. Share it with me. Come on. Don't hold back. You give me to drink of this. And then you can see in her mind, physically thinking, she says, man, if I never have to come all this way to draw out water again, that sounds wonderful. I don't have to come back to this water. I'm going to leave the city and come out here. This is great. Would you just give it to me? And that's exactly what Jesus Christ desires of all people spiritually. Give me the water. Can I drink? But there is one thing in the way. And do not miss it this morning. You see, before Christ can impart his saving and satisfying gift, the woman, like everyone else, must be brought face-to-face with her need. She must come face-to-face with her sin, eye-to-eye. She must learn to hate it and confess it and trust him to cleanse her of it. She must be willing to turn from it to him in faith and the only one who's able to cleanse from all sin by the washing of his blood. And so tactfully don't miss it of the story i love this tactfully jesus christ brings her face to face with her sinful past and sinful present we've we've alluded to it last week but he tenderly delicately he says to her go call thy husband could you say have you ever said something to your kids okay for instance they say hey can i go out and do something can i can i have some ice cream and you were to say something in response like well first go clean your room and their smile or their (laughs) their smile turns into a frown their face just droops because oh boy you just rained on their parade that's not what they wanted to hear 
So she's eagerly, give me your drink. Let me drink. And then all of a sudden, in response, he says, go get thy husband. And immediately, you can imagine, her countenance fell. Her response was evident. Her thinking, her heartbrokenness was probably evident on her face in this moment. However, her response, the ready reply is this. I have no husband. Now, the most amazing thing happens here. As Jesus Christ is witnessing, as he's sharing the truth here, he, he compliments her. If you were to look at this woman, there was not much to compliment. There was, there was not much to praise. There was not much to commend her for. But he compliments her, and he picks out one thing that is commendable. He compliments her on the fact that she has told the truth. Look at verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said. Good job. You, that, that's true. You've been honest. I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. He says, you've been honest. You have no husband. And then he calls her out. He exposes it. Many of you and I have been witnessing with somebody, and we, we've confronted them with reality. The Bible says, for all have sinned. Have you told a lie? Have you, had a bad, have you gone off in anger? Have you stolen? Have you cheated? And we're exposing the reality of, uh-oh, you're a sinner, and the wages of sin is death. We have fallen short. And in that moment, as Jesus Christ exposes and he reveals uh, the, the part of him that is certainly God, he says, you, you're right, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Could you imagine how low her jaw had dropped? <laughs> It's no wonder she says, I perceive you're a prophet. That's a pretty good response. <laughs> I perceive that you're a prophet. I perceive you know something here. But in this moment, do not miss it. In that powerful but yet tender response of our Savior, the woman stands revealed before all as she is spiritually. What is that? Soiled and stained in her sin, just like every one of us. In great need. She doesn't like it. She wants to get away from it. You ever have this happen when you're witnessing, you're knocking on the door, you're telling something about the Lord, and they want to talk about everything else but salvation? What's going to happen in, in, in the end of times? What's going to happen? What does the Bible say about uh, this? And should we eat oysters? You're like, what? Can, can we not get back on the truth? Hey, you realize that's exactly what she does in this passage? She doesn't want to be confronted by her sin. She doesn't want to think about the reality that she stands in great need. And so she wants to start a theological discussion. She wants to uh, launch into an argument about where we should worship. Place of worship. But Christ holds her face to face with her sin. Till she loathes it. She hates it. She, she can't deny it. She, I'm a sinner. And she comes to the point in verse 25 where the cry within, that hunger and that thirst, for the coming Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of every believing sinner comes through. And in this moment, Jesus Christ makes his first disclosure of himself that he ever made in the world. He seems to lift that veil of himself. And he simply says this, I that speak 
to thee am he. I that speak to thee am he. And my friend, in that moment, and we could imagine, certainly the passage likely does not record every interaction, every statement between uh, the Lord and the woman, but could you imagine in this moment, whatever transpires thereafter, this woman has found the living water. She has come face to face with the reality. She has been, her sin has been exposed. She has been honest before him. And now she realizes it's him. This is the one that's promised. The one who would come and save us from our sins as is prophesied in the Old Testament. This is the Messiah. You know what happens? And don't miss this. She forgets about her thirst. Too many of us have reached a point in our lives where we walk into a room and we forget why we're there. For her, she's come face to face. She's made a marvelous discovery, and she forgets what she's doing. She drops her water pot. She leaves the well. She forgets that she's thirsty physically because, my friend, she has found something that quenches her thirst spiritually. And it is a well that satisfies and will continue to satisfy. She leaves it all there. She, <laughs> she leaves that empty water pot by the side of the well and she bounds away like a happy, burdenless child running back to the city. Why? She's under the compelling power of a marvelous discovery. She has a story infinitely too good to keep. And in spite of the fact that everybody back there knows her past, everybody knows all her sins and all her failures and all her mistakes, she goes back there. And she would not allow her past to close her lips. She gives her testimony. She shares freely with all who will listen and hear about the one who has offered her the, the living water of salvation that's found in him. You know what the result is? And this is an amazing part of the story. Many believed because of what she said. Look at verse 39. Notice it, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Him, Jesus Christ. For why? What, what brought them? What, what made them interested? What made they come hungry and thirsty to Him? Because the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. It's an amazing statement. Verse 41, And many more believed because of His own word. <laughs> See, many believe because of the testimony of the woman. Many believe, wow, she's changed. Something is different. Something has happened. She, she is not her old, glum, unhappy self. She has drank something. We need to find out what it is. They come to this man and they hear his words. Jesus Christ came and said that he came with the what? The words of life. That's what they heard, the words of life. And what a great truth. Would you hear this truth now? Listen to me carefully. We're almost done. You see, friend, this woman, this woman never had our opportunity. The opportunity that you and I have had. She was placed in a very bad setting as a Samaritan, despised by most, despised certainly by Jews and others. She wasted the best years of her life. She never found Jesus until the sweetest and the freshest years of her life had been squandered and wasted in sin. She only met in the last lingering days of autumn or maybe even the winter time of her life. Yet, though she met him so late, when she stood in his presence a little later in glory, her hands were full of sheaves. 
bringing in the sheaves. And she forgot about her physical thirst. She forgot about all the other wells of life that have offered to quench her thirst. She had found the one that did. And boy, she went and told everyone. And in her short time, what a testimony for sharing the words of the living water. Christian, you've had a great opportunity since you first drank of the, the waters of, uh, of the living water. Is there anybody that has believed because of what you've said? Is there someone who is part of the family now and maybe even gone on to heaven or maybe here on earth and they, it can be said, as it is said of her, that because of what you have said, they believed. Has any life been transfigured? Any life been transformed by the story that you have told of your own life bringing them to the one who can change them forever? Can I encourage you, Christian? Our heart ought to be smitten this morning. We ought to be challenged that you and I give a little bit more earnestness. A little bit more thought, a little bit more prayer, a little bit more effort to doing the work that Jesus Christ, who is the King of heaven, the Savior of the world, did not think was below Him. Oh, our argument is too often, I'm too busy, i got too much going on, I need to think of this. May we not remember the beginning of this story in John chapter 4? How was Jesus Christ described? He was weary. He came to a well, hungry and thirsty. He was weary. He sat down there. In fact, the disciples went into the town to get food, and they were going to bring it back. But he sat there and probably didn't want to be bothered. One moment of peace that he often did not get. And along came a woman that was what? Hungry and thirsty. And Christ shared with her the words of life. He offered her the well of living water. If you're here this morning and you've never found the fountain that satisfies, if you know nothing of the spring that flows within, will you not claim the, the blessed treasure now? Will, will you not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and drink of the living waters? Do so first for your own needs. Do so secondly for the needs of those around you. There are people in your city, in your community, like this lady's city and community that need to hear the good news. So let it first change you, meet your needs, and allow God to use you to meet the needs of others. Remember that this well is not one on the base of merit. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It's not found in the pathway of the educated or the pathway of the rich or the great or the gifted, my friend. It is simply God's gift. You want wages for serving yourself? You know what the wages of drinking of the well of the world, well of a man's moan making? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Drink freely. May God help you even this morning to take of that free gift. And Christian, I would just say one last thing to you. Will you drink freely today, tomorrow, on every needful moment of God's will? His well is open to you. Go to the well of living waters. Go often. Go frequently. Go thirsty. He'll give it. The end of the Bible that you hold in your hands, the one that I hold in my hands, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, you know what it says, right? And the bride, excuse me, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, 
come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. He's offering. Are you taking? My Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement it is to our soul and our spirit. Father, I'm grateful that you are the God of living waters. That you are the God who encourages us and offers us to drink of those living waters repeatedly. Father, that you are the one that has put that spring within us if we've, if we've, as we have come to put our faith and trust in you. My Father, help us to drink freely this week. Help us to drink freely often. And yet, Father, if there's one here in this building that does not know what that means, Father, that, that has not uh, come to you in faith, salvation, and trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation, Lord, I, I pray they'd come to drink of that well this morning. Would they accept the free gift that you offer? Would they find what that woman found there in that roadside well? Would they come to find that Jesus Christ alone satisfies? That he alone is a well of living water. And Father, may we as your children be faithful to share that. May we be faithful to hand a cup of the living water out this week. May we be faithful to share the words of life that Christ has come to spread and has made possible by his offering on the cross of Calvary. Father, do a work in your children. Father, do a work in those who are unsaved. Draw them unto yourself. Would they come and drink freely even this morning? Would you bless in this invitation? Would you continue to speak to our hearts? Would you challenge us to make decisions based upon our exposure to your word? We'll give you the glory for it. With heads bowed and eyes.